Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, just for this example, just the transformation in the lives of, of Peter and John and the other apostles, Lord, after the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Father, I pray that as we look at their example, Lord, it would be a picture of what should be happening in our lives as well. And Lord, as we look at the picture of the lame man, Lord, I, there may be those here this morning who are hurting and crippled, Lord, spiritually, but Father God, I pray that through your word you would touch and transform lives. So Father, we just know that without you we can do nothing. So we're desperate for you to come and to teach us and to minister to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Last few weeks we started the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is a great book because what it really is is a history of the early church. We went through the Gospels and we saw the actual physical ministry of Jesus Christ that he did in his physical body while he was on the earth. And we saw that at the end of the Gospels, when it ended, that Jesus uh, was crucified, but we know that He didn't stay in the ground, that on the third day He rose from the dead. And then He walked on the earth for 40 days, and He appeared to many, and as we saw in the first chapter of Acts, He ascended back into heaven. And so we move from the Gospels, where we see the, the ministry of the body, the physical body of Christ, to the ministry now of the spiritual body of Christ, which is what? It's us. It's the church. And so we're going to see the beginning of the church and how the church began. And I love the book of Acts because we see how God took a small number of people who were empowered by the Holy Spirit who turned the entire known world upside down for Jesus Christ. And you know what? The Lord desires to do the same thing today. The same Holy Spirit that transformed the world using 120 people who were in, in, dwelt with the Spirit of the living God. God wants to do the same thing with us. There's more, pe more people in this room right now than were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell. And they've turned the whole known world upside down. And God wants to reach Santa Cruz County. And may He start with each heart that's here this morning. Amen? May the revival begin in us that we might minister to those who are around us. So Jesus had ascended back into heaven and he told them but to wait in Jerusalem. And he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we went into detail, and if you, haven't, if you weren't here the last couple weeks, I encourage you to grab the tapes. They're all, as, as, it, as always is at Calvary Chapel, the tapes are always free. We'll never charge for God's Word. That makes no sense to me. Okay, so help yourself. But here's what happened real briefly, is that they were waiting upon the Lord. He'd already breathed the Holy Spirit into them in John 20. We talked about the difference between the Holy Spirit being with you, in you, and upon you. The Holy Spirit is with the world that's convicting them of their sin. That's the only reason the world knows there's right and wrong. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit goes from being with you to in you. And then we see at the baptism or the, in, or the filling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then it says, you shall receive power. And the word for power is dunamis. It was where we get the word dynamite or dynamic. And we see that when the Holy Spirit is upon us, that our lives are supernaturally impacting the world around us. Amen. And so that's what we see happening, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and then we saw what, what began to happen. They began to speak with boldness. The mighty rushing wind came in, and tongues of fire were upon all the believers, and they began to speak in other tongues. And I want to make sure that you understand that the, the powerful thing that happened here was not them speaking in tongues as much as it was them speaking the wonderful works of God in every language of every person that was there. The people had gathered for Pentecost, that great feast, 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, and they're all there in Jerusalem, and they hear this rushing wind, and it's so loud that the crowd rushes in. And we see them begin to speak. And what's awesome is then Peter gets up and shares the gospel. The same Peter who had been wimping out, the same Peter who denied the Lord, the same Peter who had who'd ran away and fled when a little girl said, you're one of his followers, is now standing up in front of everybody and he's preaching the gospel without compromise. And his message was very clear, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we're going to see that not only does Peter begin to be bold in speaking the truth of God's word, and that's a sign of someone who's filled with the spirit of the living God. It's a supernatural love for people, and it's a supernatural boldness. And we see all that in Peter. But this morning, we're going to continue on in chapter 3, and we're going to see how God's going to transform their lives in so many different ways. And the last thing I wanted to say about chapter 2 was we saw the example of the first century church. And the things that the first century church did was they remained steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, which is teaching God's word, in fellowship, partnering with one another, holding up each other's hands, in the breaking of bread, which is both a love feast and communion, both of which we're going to have here today. We're going to partake of communion and have a love feast. 
Also in prayer, there was unity in the body, and they were a church that worshipped, and God was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. And I want you to notice, there was, that's the church. There's not a whole lot of other stuff. And in the church today, we've turned it into the modern-day Kiwanis Club, right? We've got 9,000 different programs, and we can just program the Holy Spirit right out of the church. And the reality is, there's nothing wrong with us having fun, but God wants us to teach His Word and to love people supernaturally and to worship Him and to remember what He did for us on the cross. Amen? And you know what? That's when He adds to the church daily those who are being saved. It's God's Word that transforms lives. And so we're going to pick up this morning, and we're going to look at a couple of the apostles, and we're going to see how much these guys have changed. Remember, again, these guys before Pentecost, we're going to talk about what kind of men they were, and then we're going to see what kind of men they've become. And the same should be happening in our lives. Just know that if, your walk, if you recognize the walk of the, of the apostles prior to Pentecost, know that you can have the walk of the apostles after Pentecost, because the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit, can come upon you. We're going to see that as they walk in the Spirit, that's the title of the message this morning for those who are taking notes, walking in the Spirit. There will be men of prayer, men of compassion, men of faith, men of humility, men of conviction, and then finally, men of the Word. So let's begin in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll begin by looking and seeing that they become men of prayer. Verse 1, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So now that they're filled with the Spirit of the living God, these guys, Peter's gotten up, and remember that last week we saw that he spoke and shared the gospel, and 3,000 people got saved in a single day. They didn't have to have Bozo the Clown, they didn't have to have a petting zoo. He just got up and taught the gospel, and 3,000 people's lives were transformed. The church went from 120 people to over 3,000 people in one message. Talk about radical spiritual growth, amen? But we see here that now that he shared the message, he still is a man of prayer. God's done a great work, and he doesn't start the, you know, the, the Apostle Peter Evangelistic Society. He doesn't say, look at me, I led 3,000 people. Get, get in the back of the bus, guys. I led 3,000 people to the Lord. You guys ain't doing nothing in comparison to me. And sometimes in the world, that's what happens. We, we look at spiritual gifting that comes from God, and somehow we want to take credit for it. But we see here that Peter and John just continue to be men of humility and men of prayer. And they go up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And I like this, because what do we see the apostles doing before Pentecost? Every time Jesus prayed, what do the apostles do? They went from being men of sleep before Pentecost to men of prayer afterwards. Every time you see them with Jesus, they're napping. The Lord says, come and pray with me. And every time he goes back, and what are they doing? They're just out. But now that they're filled with the Spirit of the living God, prayer has become a priority. And they're going up into the temple to seek God and to pray. And it's interesting that Peter and John are hanging out together because in the world's perspective, these guys are totally different. Peter was, prior to Pentecost, Mr. Ready, Fire, Aim, right? Mr. Chopping Off Ears, Mr. Instructing Jesus Christ and telling him he didn't quite know what he was doing, Mr. Opening his mouth and putting his foot into it, all the time, that was Peter, doer. And John was more the contemplator. He was always sitting back and watching. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. But when you see when you have Jesus in common, you got everything in common. Amen? And these two guys of totally diverse personalities are buds and are hanging out together, and they're going up to the temple. Now understand that the, the church, the early Christian church, though they are now Christians, are still very much Jewish. And what I mean by that is, they've always worshipped in the temple, and they're still going up to the temple. But I want to show something to you really quick. Because they went up at the third hour, or at the ninth hour, at the hour of prayer. The Jews prayed three times a day. They played at the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. Their day began at sunrise. So 6 a.m., so the Third hour would be 9 a.m., the sixth hour would be 12 noon, and the ninth hour would be 3 o'clock. Now, it's interesting to me that, that they would all stop and for an entire hour would pray. They put all their work aside, they put everything down, drop your fishing pole, you know, drop whatever you're doing, and they would go in and they would pray for an hour. Now, according to the, the, the writers, we know that they would spend 15 minutes in silent meditation, 30 minutes offering petitions or intercession before God, and 15 minutes of worship. A great pattern for prayer today. So we see them going up at, at this time, but it's interesting to me that they, they went up at 3 p.m. because at 2.30 something else happened in the temple. And what happened was 
the daily sacrifices were offered. So most people would go up for the time of the sacrifice, but you'll notice that Peter and John do not go to the temple for the the hour of sacrifice. Why not? Because Jesus had paid the price. Because Jesus said, it is finished. And that sacrifice that was necessary 50 some odd days earlier is is necessary no longer because Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. And so while they still go into the temple, they're now new creations in Christ. They're, They're men of prayer, no longer men of sleep. And they go up at that third hour to seek the Lord in prayer. You know what? I truly believe, and you see it all over the Bible, that when, if we want to see God do great things, we need to be people who pray. Amen? Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. And so often, I want to encourage you with something. As your pastor, I love you guys, and I'm, I'm open to counsel anytime, any way I can help you, and I don't have the answers. I just know where they are, and they're right here in this thing right here. See this? This is the answer book. I, and I, I don't even have the teacher's edition. I just, you know, I open it up, and here it is, okay? But here's the thing. I hear this all the time. People are struggling, and the first question I always ask is, how's your prayer life? Not too good. How much time are you spending in the Word? Well, I come on Sunday sometime. You know, and the reality is that it's God's Word and prayer that's going to transform our lives. And I want to encourage you, spend time with Him. God's got the answers, not Pastor Dave. Amen? And so you spend intimate time with Him, and He will lead and guide and direct your life. So these guys are walking in the Spirit. They're men of prayer, not men of sleep. They're desperate for God. They're fully reliant upon Him. Verse 2. So they're walking up into the temple, and it says, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, who they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Now, these guys are going to go from being men who didn't get it to being men of great compassion. And just to contrast it, we see that in, in John 9, when they saw the blind man, if you guys remember this, they turned to Jesus and said, the apostles, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this guy or his parents? Why is this guy blind? Obviously, he did something wrong. And, it's, and the Lord turned to them and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. We're going to see now that these guys are going to have a different attitude as they walk by the lame man. They're not going to say, Who sinned? They're not going to look down on this guy. Now that they're filled with the Spirit of the living God, they're going to become men of compassion. As they're walking by, they're going to see the lame man. Now he was lame from his mother's womb, and in Acts chapter 4, we see that this man was over 40 years old. It's interesting to me that 40 in the Bible is the number of what? Testing, right? Rained 40 days and 40 nights, Noah's ark, Jesus tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath came down and challenged the Israelites. We can go on and on and on. So he's been lame for 40 years, and I want to just talk about this man real quickly, that Imagine being crippled anytime, but especially in those days. There were no wheelchairs in those days, and there were very few desk jobs, if any. So what kind of work, or how did this man provide for himself? We had family or people that cared about him because every day they would pick him up and carry him and drop him at the gate where everybody would walk in and out of Jerusalem all day long. And so he's outside of the gate, he's sitting there where where people would be entering into the temple, and he's crippled. And as we can see when you look deeper into the text, literally his feet were turned around the wrong way and his ankle bones were were not developed right. So he had these deformed feet, he was laying on the ground, and all day long throngs were walking by him and he sat there and he would beg. Imagine being this lame man since birth. For 40 years you've never been able to walk anywhere. You've never been able to go anywhere you wanted without the help of someone else. You've always been looked down on by people and even had some, no doubt, like the apostles who thought that you were lame because of your sin or the sin of your parents. This guy's life was desperate and he was dropped there at the gate, carried there and left there. Could only beg, no freedom, had to be carried. Life was difficult, painful. His future was very, very bleak. You know what? That's a picture of every person on this planet who doesn't know Christ. Amen? Their their life doesn't make sense. Their future is very bleak. 
But praise God, the same thing that happens to this lame man can happen in the life of everyone who desires to know Christ. They set him down at the beautiful gate. It's also the golden gate that was the eastern entrance into the temple. And it was this really ornate and beautiful gate. And there laying next to this beautiful gate was this lame man that from the world's perspective was, was an ugly sight. Now verse 3. It says, And who seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple asked for alms. He was asking for daily provision. He was asking them to, you know, throw him a coin of some kind. Give him some money, basically, was what he was looking for. So he's asking for a physical blessing. And again, the two apostles who prior to Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming upon them, when the, when the crowd came, do you remember this? The crowd came and gathered around the Lord and the, and the apostles were getting tired. You know what, Lord, send these guys away. Tell them to go into town. It's getting to be about dinner time. You know, we need, we need to just eat something. Let's get these guys out of here. And what did the Lord do? He fed the 5,000. Remember that? When the children came to the Lord, what did they do? They wanted to keep the children away from Jesus. Do you guys remember that? And what did he say? Let the little children come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Again, they, they chastised the blind men. They argued over who was the greatest among them. These guys were very self-centered. It was all about them. Lord, we're hanging out with you. Lord, you belong to us. We're not going to share you with anybody else. And, you know, send these people away. Lord, you can provide for us, but not for them. And now watch the difference after being filled with the Spirit of the living God. Look what they do. And it says there, And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. You know what? A crippled man, again, most people would look down upon him would see him with disparaging eyes. And when Peter walked, no doubt, and you know what? We do this. You're walking along on the mall, the Pacific Garden Mall, and somebody's there, and, and, you know, they, and, and you know what? The last thing you want to do, typically, unless you're willing to help somebody, is make eye contact. You just want to walk by and act like they're not there. Because that's the way we respond. If I make eye contact, then I'm going to have to say something, and I'm just going to be it, you know. And no doubt, the layman's there, and people are going into the temple, by, and they're just walking by in droves, and most people don't look at this man, don't have time for this man. And then Peter, walking by, stops and fixes his eyes upon him. The layman's laying there, and, and suddenly somebody stops and looks into his eyes. This is the heart of compassion. Now, I want to say this real clear. Just as a side note, I, years ago, stopped giving money to people who asked me for money. Only because what I have found is, typically, they use the money for stuff that God would not be blessed by. Amen? I will take them down the street and buy them however much food they can eat. I'll buy them groceries. I'll, buy them, I'll help them any way I can, but I typically don't just hand them money because more times than not, especially here in Santa Cruz, They'll end up drinking it or shooting it in their arm or something, and I don't want to do that with God's money. But we see here that, that just as he had compassion, we should have compassion. And he fixes his eyes upon him. He focused on the one who had need. Who does that sound like? Who does that sound like? Jesus. What did he do? He would always focus on the one who had the greatest need. He would walk by and he'd see that one and he'd stop everything he was doing and he'd walk over and minister to him. And often the people would say, Don't, man, he's, he's eating with prostitutes and he's, he's talking to a leper and what's wrong with him? And the Lord always looked for the one with the greatest need. And we see that when we're filled with the Spirit of the living God, we too will have the same heart. And he stopped and he fixed his eyes on him and said, look at us. Man, imagine if we would just all do that. If we would just be prayed up, beginning with prayer, be men and women who pray and seek God's face, and then walk around all day looking for divine appointments, and when they come, stopping and ministering to those who God puts in our path. Verse 5. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. The lame man looked at Peter. He was expecting that he was going to give him some money. Again, most people would not make eye contact. Thousands were walking by. He stops, he looks at him, and, he, and he's, he's waiting for him to give him something. Now, I'm going to share with you a story that I know that some of you have heard before. Most of you probably have not. About 10 years ago, when I was, I was selling Yellow Page advertising in Southern California, one of the things I still do to this day is I carry tracks around in my car. I put them right in the side of the door. And I just pray for opportunities during the day, and I have to confess to you openly that I'm not always obedient when God puts an opportunity in my path. Sometimes I'm just too stinking busy. I'm too focused on me. 
And about 10 years ago, I was on a sales call and I was running late for an appointment I had with some attorneys. This is in the San Fernando Valley. And I'm running late between appointments and it was a 100 degree day and I've been sitting in this guy's office for two hours and I was dying of thirst. So I pulled into a 7-Eleven and I ran in to grab myself a, a super big goal, okay? And I went in to get that thing and then run out and then drive the rest of the way to my appointment. Well, as I was walking, walking in out of the corner of my eye, I kind of noticed somebody, but I, you know, I was more along the lines of the people going up into the temple. I had business to take care of, and this was just kind of going to be an inconvenience for me, so I didn't really turn around too much. And I ran in, and then as I went out and I got in my car, I looked out and I saw this guy, and I had never seen a more battered human being in my life. I later found out that someone had set him on fire, that he had been sleeping in someone's spot, and someone had poured gasoline on him and set him on fire. And this guy just was really a mess. His skin was eaten away. And I'm getting in my car, and not in an audible voice, but I felt the Lord tell me, Dave, I want you to get out and go minister to that guy. And then I start arguing with God. Have you ever done that before? But Lord, I have an appointment. And I'm supposed to be a man of my word. Let my yes be yes and my no be no. And I've got an appointment. I'm already late. They're going to be upset with me. So I start backing out my car. I'm arguing with God as I'm driving down Van Nuys Boulevard. Now, I'm driving along, and the Lord just, I want you, uh, Dave, I want you to go back and talk to him. But Lord, I, I, I'm late. I'll go back after my appointment, okay? You know, I get to the light, and now the Lord, Dave, I want you to go back and talk to that guy. Right? Holy Spirit head slap, right? So this time I go, all right, okay, you know? Not the greatest heart. I whip a U-turn. I pull in. I throw the door open. I grab a track out of my car. I leave the car running. I'm really going to spend some quality time with this guy. <laughs> I jump out of the car, I hand him a track. Bro, I just want you to know Jesus loves you, he died for you, he wants you to have eternal life, and if you have any questions or anything, you can certainly read this, God bless you, have a great day. <laughs> and as I held out the track, he put his hand on my shoulder, and the guy just started weeping, and he fell in my arms. And I was holding him up, and I noticed he had a little bit of a shirt on, his shirt was more hold than shirt, and he was falling in my arms, and I started to talk to him, and he started weeping uncontrollably, and he said, you don't understand. I said, I don't understand what? He said, half an hour ago, I was behind that building across the street. I was sitting in the alley. He said, I had a gun pointed to my head and I was going to kill myself. And he said, as I was there, I cried out and said, God, if you're real, then show me. And I walked across the street and I sat down and you just got out and told me that Jesus loves me. And I was weeping. I was a wreck. But I want to confess to you, there's times when I've kept driving. There's times when I have not responded to what the Holy Spirit would have me to do. And you know what? We miss out on a blessing and people miss out on getting ministered to when we're so caught up in us that we miss out on the leading of the Holy Spirit. And praise God, I was able to get that guy plugged into a local church and went back and visited with him a few times. And, but, but praise God, and again, it has, I was leaving. I'm not telling you your pastor's this great spiritual giant. I was blowing it. I was leaving. And it was only because the Holy Spirit drove me back and I think, man, how many times have I missed those opportunities? And so we see here the same thing is happening. This man is sitting there and praise God that these guys are being attentive to the Holy Spirit and they turn and they fix their eyes on them. They don't say, hey dude, we're, we're, we're going to go pray. We don't have time. I'm on my agenda. I've got things I've got to do. And praise God that they stopped and they ministered to him. So they became, went from being... They became men of prayer, men of compassion, but watch also, they are men of faith. Look at verse 6. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. And let me tell you something, the lame man might have thought, then why did you stop? Then just keep the hoofing, man. What, what's the problem? I mean, he could have said, he's walking by, he stops and fixes his eyes on him, he's like, great, someone's going to bless me with something. This guy's going up at the hour of prayer. He's stopping. He's going to hand me some money. This is great. He turns and says, I don't have any money. Then, then why did you stop? What's the point? But I praise God again that now filled with the Holy Spirit, these guys are becoming men of faith and also men who are led by the Spirit and have discernment. And they knew that God wanted to do more in the life of that lame man than just give him some money. Remember that before Pentecost, what kind of man was Peter? Peter was a man who would doubt. Peter was a man who was real proud of himself but would get afraid real easy. Remember when they were crossing over the water, the Lord said, we're going to go to the other side, and the storm kicked up. What did the people, what did they say? They woke him up. Lord, we're all going to die. You remember that? 
Lord, we're all going to die. You remember Peter stepping out on the water, and God blessed him that he did. He stepped out on the water and took a few steps, and what happened to Peter? Started sinking. Why? Because he saw the storm, and he got afraid. But now after Pentecost, he's going to go from being a man of fear and a man of doubt to a man of faith. Because watch what he does as he reaches out to this man. He's going to minister to him in a way that this man had no idea probably was even possible. He said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, I give you. I love the fact that Peter and John didn't have anything that the world valued, but they had something much better. They had the ability to minister to people in the name of Jesus Christ. Look what it says. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This guy was looking for someone to flip him a coin so he could buy some bread later on. And he looks at this guy who's been crippled for 40 years, his greatest need physically. And Peter, by faith, being led by the Spirit of the living God, reaches out to him and says to him, rise up in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Notice that Peter doesn't say, in the name of the Apostle Peter who just led 3,000 people to the Lord. He didn't wave his white coat over someone's head. You know, he didn't blow on them. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Amen? Because who should receive all the glory? Jesus Christ alone. Amen? And so he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And you know what's awesome about this? The power is in the name of Jesus. It says in Acts chapter 4, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The power is in the name of Christ alone. No other name. No other way. No other truth. And he says, rise up and walk. Now he doesn't, he doesn't just tell him, but now he takes action because faith produces action. It's one thing to say, I believe. You guys have heard the story about the guy going back and forth over, the, over Niagara Falls on a tightrope, and then he grabs a wheelbarrow, and he goes back and forth on the wheelbarrow with the wheelbarrow in front of him, and then he says, how many you guys believe that I could do, go across again with someone in the wheelbarrow? And I go, oh yeah, we believe in it. Okay, who wants to go? Oh no, I ain't going. I, I believe. Oh no, true faith produces action, amen? Nobody's crawling in that wheelbarrow. They're like, dude, I believe with his body in there, but not mine. And we see here that these guys truly believe because look what he does, verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. You don't want to be wrong right here. Amen? You don't want to be dragging some cripple guy and having, you know, him laying there, his leg, people punch you out, right? I mean, he went up there and he knew that the Holy Spirit was leading him to do it and he responded in obedience and he reached out and grabbed the hold of the guy's hand and began to lift him up. And it says he lifted him up by the right, by, grabbed him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. You know what's interesting? That Peter, who is doing this, is following the example that he saw Jesus do with his own mother-in-law. In Mark chapter 1, Peter brought Jesus into his mother-in-law, and Jesus said, So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. Who do we follow? Who's our example? He's our example on how we should live. He's our example on how we should serve others. He's our example on how we should minister to people. And Peter followed the Lord's example and did just as he had seen Jesus do with his mother-in-law. He reached down and he believed and trusted God. He walked in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And again, this was not a miracle crusade. This was not so he could raise a bunch of money for the, the, you know, the Apostle Peter Foundation. This is Peter just touching the life of one individual led by the Spirit of the living God. Verse 8. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. How do you know something's truly a miracle from God? Who gets the glory? God does. And I love the fact that this guy's healed. He's been lame for 40 years and he doesn't run home. He doesn't run home and say, Mom and Dad, look! He doesn't run to his neighbors or his friends or wherever it was that carried him. Where does he go first? Into the temple. Why? Because it's the Lord who has touched him. And he wants to praise him above all else. He wants to honor him above all else. He's excited. Hey, I'd be excited. Can you imagine being seated at that gate for 40 years in total desperation, now touched by God, his life has been transformed, and he goes walking and leaping and praising God. You know what? This is a picture of us. 
Before we knew Christ, we were outside of the temple. We could not enter into fellowship with Him. We were unable to fellowship. We were unable to worship. We were unable to have a relationship with Him. But praise God that Jesus Christ reached down and touched us. Amen? And transformed our lives. And you know what? As radical as this lame man being healed, it's nothing compared to becoming a new creation in Christ and having the promise of eternal life. Amen? We should be walking and leaping and praising God. Amen? You know, too much, oh yeah, a Christian, yeah, I'm born again. Yeah, it's great. It's weak. Hey, you know what? If you, let me ask you a question. If you want $50 million, would you be calling your friends? Oh yeah. Well, not the ones I wanted to, didn't want, I might not want to loan out all the money, but uh, yeah, I'd be calling everybody. Can you imagine if you won $50 million and anybody who showed up for the next week would get $50 million also? How many of your friends would you call? you call them all. We've got something greater than $50 million, amen? We've been born again. We're new creations in Christ. How much more should we be walking and leaping and praising God? Now, I'm not talking just about having an emotional thing where, you, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm rocking around like that all the time. I'm talking about having joy that the world doesn't understand. Are there lame people spiritually that you work with in your neighborhood, around you? Of course there are. And we should be walking and leaping and praising God and bringing people to Him. Hey, we should be the happiest people on the planet because we know where we're headed, amen? The worst thing the world can do to me is the best thing that could happen to me. They shoot me dead, I'm in the presence of Almighty God, so bring it on, it's okay, amen? We have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. God is in control, He's faithful. And we should be walking and leaping and praising God. He didn't earn it. What did the lame man do? Did he, did he uh, walk on his hands 50 feet? or What did he do to earn this? Nothing. He was just sitting there. And God in His grace reached out and touched him. What did you do to earn salvation? Nothing. He did it. It is finished. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Look at verse 9. And all the people saw Him walking and praising God. You know what? A transformed life produces a public testimony. There's no, they, you know what? This guy comes walking into the temple. Remember, he's been lame for 40 years. We don't know how many years he's been at that gate, but he might have been at that gate for 25 years every day. Everybody knew who he was, and all of a sudden he comes walking into the temple. Whoa! What happened? This is a walk-in testimony. This is undeniable. Shouldn't the same thing be true when our lives have been touched by the Lord? We should be walking testimonies. Dude, you used to worry about everything. Now you worry about nothing. You used to be bummed out and bitter all the time, and now you've got joy. You know, your marriage was a wreck before, and now look at your marriage. You love your wife. What a, that should be happening in the life of believers when we've been touched by God. This miracle had the, the utmost publicly publicity. It showed everybody. The life, his life had been radically changed. He said, I can walk. We should be saying, I'm saved. Amen? I've, I mean, I'm born again. I'm going to heaven. It's what life's all about. Verse 10. Then they knew it was he who set begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Yeah, I guess so. They were filled with wonder. They were blown away, but they still didn't know how he had been healed. They still were wondering. So these guys were, who, again, now are men of prayer, they're men of compassion, and they're men of faith. They took action when they saw an opportunity to minister to somebody. May we be the same. We're also going to see now they're men of humility. Look at verse 11. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. Now Solomon's porch was a a portico just outside of the walls, and they were all gathered together, and they ran in because they had heard what had happened. The news spread like wildfire. You know the lame guy? You remember him? Remember that guy that was always sitting out by the gate out there? Yeah, I remember that guy. Dude, he's walking around. Oh, no, stop it. No, really. He's walking around, I'm telling you. And he's right, oh, let's go. And then just the crowd came pressing in. And here's Peter and John. And what did the man do? He's hanging on to Peter and John. This guy, his life's been touched. He's no longer lame. And he's hanging on to Peter and John. The crowd comes running in, and they're gathered around them. Verse 12, so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us, at us as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? Because they had lost the sense of the greatness of their God, they'd forgotten that God could heal people. These were supposed to be the religious people of the day. They were at the temple at the hour of prayer, and they were blown away that God could do something like this. You know what? Are you blown away when God answers prayer? 
I have to confess to you that sometimes I am. How about you? I've prayed with people with head-to-toe cancer, and they said they're, they're going to go to be with the Lord. And I've prayed for them. I literally have had people come back two days later, and there's no cancer in their body, and I'm blown away. I'm not supposed to be. Amen? Can our God do that? Well, well yeah. Well, you prayed for it, right? Well, yeah. Why did you pray? Because you believe? Well, yeah. Then it happens. You're like, I can't believe it happened. <laughs> right? We pray and ask God to do great things, and then He does, and we're blown away. We need to have more faith that God can do it, that He's faithful, that He's sovereign, that He'll do it, whatever is going to bring Him the greatest glory. And these guys are blown away. And I look what He says. He says, why do you marvel at this? Why are you guys blown away? Have you forgotten the work that our God can do? And then He says, why do you look so intently at us? Why are you looking at me? I didn't do this. Why are, you, why are you honoring me? I had nothing to do with it. I just acted in obedience. I've used this analogy before. When I was visiting my parents here, I can't remember, like 94, 95, when I was still living in Southern California, I came up for a holiday, I don't remember which one, and I had the most gnarly toothache of my life. I thought I was going to die. I mean, it was brutal. And it was on like Thanksgiving Day or something like that. And I go through the phone book, and I finally get a hold of a guy that will meet me at his office. And he's like, well, I'm going to have to charge you triple. I'm like, dude, you can have my car. I don't care. You don't understand. Just fix it, please. So I go down there, and I am in just the most radical pain. As soon as he, you know, this is the first time you wanted this shot at the dentist. Yeah, please, okay, two more would be good. I mean, because it numbed it. Oh, that feels better, yeah. And then he went in and, you know, did a root canal and fixed my tooth. And we were all done. And I, oh, man, my, the pain was all gone. I was just all oh, praising God. Now, at the end of that, can you imagine if I'd went over to that guy's drill and grabbed a hold of the drill and went, oh, thank you, drill. You're such an awesome drill. Thank you for drilling away my tooth and taking away my pain. It wasn't the drill that, that healed me or fixed my tooth. It was the drill in the hand of the craftsman, in the hand of the dentist. I thank the dentist. Thank you. And the same is true here. Peter is simply a tool in the hand of the master. And we don't go to, oh, Peter, it's not Peter, it's the Lord. Amen? We glorify him, not men. And Peter says, guys, don't look at me. It's not me. I'm the drill. He's the dentist. Amen? It's in his hands. To him be the glory. Honor him, praise him, glorify him. And you know what? There's people today that love to draw men unto themselves. They start to take credit. If I hear another guy on TV telling me how anointed he is, I'm going to throw up right? I'm anointed. I'll stop it. What's, it got nothing to do with you. The worldwide ministry of me, right? You know, and then, do you have faith in me? Put your hand on my hand on the thing, you know, stop it. That uh, dishonors God. Amen? We need to be pointing people to Jesus at all times. Take no credit. Touch not the glory. They said, do you have faith in me? Naming buildings and universities and evangelistic societies after themselves when you're the drill, man. You didn't do anything. God did it all. God bless you for being obedient. But when people start to tell you you're anointed, be careful. Because that's the quickest way to be ineffective in ministry is to start elevating your own name. In Isaiah it says, God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another. Who gets the glory? Him alone. How many universes you created this week? How many times have you risen from the dead? Walked on any water lately? I didn't think so. So the reality is we glorify Him. We're just the, the drill bits in the hand of the dentist, and He should be the one glorified. And we see here the response. They say, guys, don't look at us. It's not our power. We didn't do it. God did it. Honor Him. Glorify Him. We should always be pointing people to Christ. So they're also now men of humility and then men of conviction. Look at verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, who you delivered up, and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and just, the Holy One and the just, and asked for a murder to be granted to you. You know what? Prior to Pentecost, Peter denied the Lord and was afraid of men. And now filled with the Spirit of the living God, he stands up with all these religious people and he takes them to God's Word. He takes him back and says, you know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You know that God that we've got in common, the one that you talk about and I talk about? Well, guess what? He's the one that sent Jesus here. And when Jesus came, he was the answer. He was the Messiah we've been waiting for. And by the way, you guys killed him. 
Peter's a little different than the guy that was shaking in his boots when the little girl said, you're one of them. Oh, no, no, I'm not, right? Now Peter's standing up going, you guys murdered him. You guys killed him. He's a man of conviction to the word of God. Again, praise God what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. He said, you guys asked for a murderer, remember? They asked for Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. We don't want Jesus, we want Barabbas. And he says at the end of that verse there, of which we are witnesses. It says, and you killed the prince of life who God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. You killed, and that word there for prince could also be, um, if you take notes in your Bible, write in your margin, the word could also be author of life. He's the creator of life. You killed the creator of life. You put the creator of life to death and chose a murderer over him. You chose one who takes life over one who gives life. God raised him from the dead. And the good news is that Peter's first message, what was Peter's first message about in chapter 2? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he pointed to the resurrection. Here's his second message. What's he pointing to? The resurrection. He doesn't say, okay, let's talk about five keys to financial freedom. Right? Twelve ways to be really happy and not to, you know, ten steps to not blowing your, your top. He doesn't do it. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen? He preaches Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. And churches today say, oh, you can't do that because you'll offend somebody. Somebody might think they're sinners when they walk out of church. Well, duh, that's because we are. Amen? And we're sinners in need of a Savior. And so Peter's message, a man of conviction filled with the Spirit of the living God. The church is being turned upside down. And again, he says, we are witnesses. We saw Jesus risen. He rose from the dead. We've seen Him since He's been risen. And He's preaching to them the fact that Jesus has triumphed over sin and death. Verse 16. And His name, through faith in His name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through Him has given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. He points them again to Jesus Christ. It's faith in Christ alone. Faith in Him, not faith in man. Verse 15, Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. He's saying, I know that when you crucified the Messiah, you didn't realize that you were crucifying the Messiah. And Jesus even said on the cross, Father, forgive them for what? They don't know what they're doing. They are killing the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And he says you did it in ignorance. Verse 18. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all His prophets that Christ would suffer, He has thus fulfilled. So you were ignorant... But I want you to understand something, that all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, Jesus Christ was the answer to every single one of them. From the way he would live, from where he was born, how he would die, that he would raise from the dead, and it's, we're going to see in a couple of verses that he's coming back. And you know what? You did it in ignorance, but it's not too late. You, you missed out on God for all this time, but now you can know him through his son. You can realize your need for him. They had criticized the Messiah. But God was still in control. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If you ever underline verses in your Bible, underline that verse. Look what it says. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Just be a really good person and try harder to do nice things. That's not what it says. Repent means to turn. I used to be walking this way, and now I'm a new creation in Christ, and now I'm going this way. I'm a new person. My life's been transformed. I'm not just trying to do better. I've given my life over to Him completely. Repentance brings conversion. And I love the rest of that verse, though. It says that your sins may be blotted out. Aren't you glad to know that your sins have been blotted out? Amen? I'm so happy. You know, there's a God has a library. How many of you know that? It talks about that. And you know... I don't know how it works, but there could be a book with my name on it and all my sins written down in there, and that would, they'd need a room this big probably, right? And, but the good news is, when I stand before God on Judgment Day, do you know that you open those pages, there's nothing there? Not because of my goodness, but because of His shed blood has paid the price for all of it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Sins blotted out. But not only sins blotted out, but times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you know that sin equals separation from God? And I cannot have intimate fellowship with God if I have sin that's not been paid for. 
If you're here this morning and you're trying to be good, but you're still, you've never repented of your sin, you can never have a relationship with God. So when we repent, not only is my sin blotted out, but I enter into personal, intimate fellowship with God. Verse 20, that they may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before. Jesus Christ is coming back. If you and I, he says, that if I go away, I will come to you again. And all must deal with Jesus either now or later. We're either going to repent before him now or deal with him when he returns. Verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his prophets since the world began. When's the restoration of all things going to come? When Jesus Christ comes back. Amen? That's when the restoration of all things is going to come. It's not going to come because we elect the right people, though we ought to vote. It's not going to come because, you know, we get the right things done in the world. It's only going to come when Jesus Christ comes back and rules and reigns on earth. Amen? It's called the millennial kingdom. We don't have time to go into it, but there's going to be a thousand year reign. We're going to see what the world would be like with Jesus Christ in charge. Verse 22. For Moses truly said of the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. So they go from men of conviction and now they're men of the word. They take them straight to the Bible. They take them straight to the Old Testament. And they began to quote God's word to them. Verse 23. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. The prophet he's talking about, this is Moses speaking, is talking about Jesus. There's a prophet coming. Moses was a picture of the law. And Jesus Christ is a picture or a fulfillment of the law. He's a picture of grace. The law reveals that we are sinners and Jesus is the Savior that saved us from our sin. And he's saying there's a prophet coming and him you shall hear. And if you do not, you will face judgment at his hands. Verse 24. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold of these days. You are sons of the prophets and the covenant which God made with our fathers saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How were all the families of the earth blessed through the seed of Abraham? How? Patrick said it. Jesus. Jesus is is fruit of the seed of Abraham. And all the nations of the world were blessed because Jesus was born, because he came to earth and paid the price for us. Last verse. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning every one of you from your iniquities. Peter gets up and and he begins to speak boldly to these guys. He's not watering it down anymore. He takes them straight to God's Word and he points them to the fact that Jesus Christ is the answer and the hope that they've been looking for. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. Paul said it. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel to the Jew first and to the Gentile. You know what? We should not be ashamed of the Gospel. Amen? We should not water down God's truth because we're afraid. Again, always minister to people in love. Always. If they're offended by me, then God forgive me. If they're offended by God's word, they need to be offended. Amen? I mean, love people. Preach the word. What? Love the people. God's word without compromise, but loving people supernaturally. Everybody who walks in these doors, if you're new here this morning... I want you to know we've been praying for you. We're glad you're here. I hope you feel welcome. And God loves you so much that He'd rather die than live without you. That's why He sent His Son to die in your place. Amen? But you know what? If you love somebody, you're going to share the truth with them. And we're so afraid sometimes. We want to water down the gospel. And we want to, well, you know, we can't share Jesus on Sunday morning because we might have, man, we need to just share it with everybody. Not be ashamed. Because the apostles certainly were not. So in review, walking in the Spirit. They went from being men of sleep to men of prayer. From men of judgmental spirits to men of compassion and discernment. Men of doubt and fear to men of faith. Men of pride and self-promotion to men of humility. Men of compromise to men of conviction. And men of religious tradition and popular culture to men of the Word. How did that all happen? It wasn't a seminar they went to. It wasn't 12 steps to it. It was the Spirit of the living God falling upon them. And that same Holy Spirit is available to everybody in this room this morning. You know what? The, the same God that transformed them wants to transform us. Amen? So we don't walk around living 
you know, wimpy, wannabe Christian lives, but we're filled with the Spirit of the living God and we're touching and transforming the lives of the people around us by the power, His power going through us. It's only possible when filled with, to overflowing with the Spirit of the living God. I wanted to say this. We're going to take communion now, but before we do, I want to say this to you. If you're here this morning and you've been trying to be good enough or, you know, you've been trying to live that life on your own, I want you to know that He loves you. How valuable are you to God? How do you determine the value of something? By what somebody's willing to pay for it. What was paid for you? This. Amen? He would have died just for you. He laid down His life for you. And you're trying, if you're trying to live life and trying to find the answer in life and trying to find where hope is and trying to find the region you live, let me tell you what it is. It's to have a relationship with Almighty God and that's only possible through His Son. And then if you're here this morning and you already know the Lord, let me encourage you that God wants to do more with your life. Amen? God wants to do more with my life. If I'll just let Him. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth. He's looking for someone that He can use in a mighty way. And He's not looking for ability, but availability. He's just looking for someone to say, Lord, I want you to use me. I want to be like Peter and John. I want to go from being a man of compromise to a man of conviction. I want to go from being a woman of doubt to a woman of faith. I want you to use me in a mighty and a powerful way. And Lord, I can't do it. I need your help. So before we go to communion, I just want to pray with you. Let's all bow our heads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning, if there's anybody here that does not know you, that Lord, their sin is still held to their account because they have not allowed you to pay the price on their place. Father, I pray that you would just open their eyes to their need for you. And Lord, that even right now, they would just cry out to you with a simple prayer of, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. And you know what, Lord? You say in your word, you're faithful and just to forgive us. And then, Lord, for those who are here this morning who do know you, but, Lord, feel like their, their walk with you hasn't been what it should be. Lord, I just pray, Father God, that even right now, Lord, they would just cry out and say, Lord, pour out your Spirit upon me. Lord, your Spirit's in me. I've got the promise of heaven. But, Lord, I want to have an impact on this world for you and for your kingdom. And that's impossible without you. So, Father, I pray for any here who don't know you, Lord. Open their eyes to their need for you. And, Father, those of us who do know you, Lord, I pray that we would die to ourselves, Lord, and be filled with your Spirit, that you might be glorified through us. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord. And just prepare our hearts even now for communion. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Here at Calvary Chapel, here's how we do communion. If you're here, we don't have church membership. You show up, you're part of the church. Communion is real simple. Communion is a picture of what Christ did for us on the cross. The bread is a picture of His body which was broken for you. And the juice is a representation of His blood that was shed for us. Now, these elements do not save us. They do not cleanse us. They do not purify us. It's a picture in remembrance of what Christ did for us. But the Bible says we're not to take it lightly. It's only for those who have been born again. If you haven't been born again, before you do this, all you have to do is simply say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I want you to be my Savior. Come into my life, and He will. Amen? If you do know Him, then I want you to come on up. They're going to start playing some worship. And just take the elements and go back and sit down. with. If you're here with your spouse, take it with them. But just sit down with your family or by yourself and just begin by examining your own heart. And maybe this will be a, a good time as you're reflecting on the cross and what Christ did for you. Do you say, Lord, I want you to fill me with your spirit. And then take the elements in remembrance of what he did for us on the cross. Amen? All right, let's worship.